Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's Tuesday, and I hope your pipes didn't burst last night, because that but would if be they bad. Did, yeah, but if they did, man, ca- call us. Pastor PG will be there in a heartbeat. I'll bring a wrench. To wrench your pipes. Yes. And hit them in different places to see if that helps. Sure. Yeah. 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 Man, it's crazy. People are like reaching out to us from California being like, y'all okay out there? Like, it's overstated. I, I get it. I mean, because yeah. with, with the history of Texans right. and what happened at the last big free, I get it. Like, I totally get that. But I'm also saying, man, this... You don't need to buy all that toilet paper. Right. Because even like that last big freeze was such a big deal because it was so rare. It's not unexpected. Like, right. Unusual. Well, okay. If I remember right, the that, at that time, Texas wasn't projecting that it was going to be this big thing. Right. It was very much like it's happening today or, or rather this season where it's like, oh, it's only going to be two or three days. And then right. ended up turning into two weeks, if I remember. Right. And there was a lot of snow. And what happens is the snow falls on the trees. The trees are, are dry and dead because it's, it's freezing Super out. Super hot winter. Yeah. And the branches break yeah. and hit the power lines yeah. and Thanks power go- goes down. And yeah, that's, it's not gets just because it gets cold that like power just stops working. Well, it's the mixed conditions, right? So everything, so it's like the perfect storm. You got snow and you've got, you've got the icy roads, which we're not prepared for here. And then you've also got the lack of power. And there's a million things. When, when one thing goes wrong, it's like a domino effect. Everything else tends to follow suit. Yeah. I think we're going to end up okay. I yeah. think it's Tuesday, and I think this was all overblown. Maybe. I hope so. I, I hope for the sake of everyone in our neighborhood and in our, our area that it's fine. Except for our school children because they're like, we please, want a snow day. Please give us a snow day. Which I get that, man. That was fun growing up. It is up. fun. Yeah. I, I want it for them. Yeah. I would like to say I can't go into work today, Pastor PJ, because I'm at home. We're having a school day. Yeah. Or a, a snow a, day. A school snow day. School yeah. snow day. We're going to make snow angels in our All, front yard. Although, man, they've got it so easy now because schools just communicate on like instant text and in instagram when i was growing up out here like it would scroll on the bottom of the news local news channels oh. so i would have to wake up early in the morning i turn on to watch the news and the, the best was when you saw your school's name scroll across the bottom oh. the worst was when you saw so many schools and yours wasn't there yours and then you find open. out oh man we're still having school ouch so what's the thinking behind well because they're independent school districts they can right. make their own decisions right okay i get that now. yeah well and i went to a private school and, and they just made their own decisions anyways about uh, life but okay yeah, th- that was the worst. But it was always super exciting when you saw your school and you were like, yes. I've never had a snow day. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, because I was raised in California. Yeah. But I welcome that. Well, if we have a, if it snows here, I'll. I'll an office snow day? I will declare an office snow oh, day. Oh, that'd be yeah. so fun. And then you can stay home and, you know, do whatever. I like working at the office. I, I have space at home, but I really like working here. I'm with you, man. It's yeah. It's just better. It feels good. Like, I just, I like it here. The word you're looking for is productive. I, I'm productive at home, too. It's okay. a different kind of productive though, because okay. I can hear my kids and, yeah. you know, and someone's screaming and yelling, I have to go figure out, Kristen, why are you screaming and yelling? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Put Tabitha down. <laughs> Kristen never screams and yells, to be clear. Never I, does that. I, yeah. I would be shocked knowing what I know about Kristen. She does not seem like a, a screamer. Not a screamer. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, hey, let's uh, get into Genesis. Genesis 12 through 15. We were in Genesis, and then we left Genesis. We finished we Job. Job. We finished Job. We finished it. First book of the year, Well man. done. I feel Yay. productive. We did it. 
now we're in Genesis again. Now we're going to finish Genesis. Yep. And just to catch you up, uh, the world was created and, <laughs> oh. and things went bad. Um, and then things got really bad. And then God destroyed creation, but saved Noah and his family. And then he started over with Noah and things went bad again. And yet not as bad as they were. And because of his promise, he's still not going to destroy everything. But then everybody got together. They were like, let's build this tower. And uh, they started to do that. And God said, you know, this is not really what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to fill the earth and uh, and, and not just all get together in one spot. So uh, I'm going to confuse your languages. And uh, this is not going to happen that way. And then we got this long list of names that ended in this guy, Terah, who had a kid named Abram. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So that's the the 30,000 foot view of, uh, of Genesis 1 through 11. So yeah, now we're looking at patri- uh, the patriarchal history. Right. We're looking at one family now. We're going to see, because in the, in the beginning, when God promised that he would send a seed, uh, we didn't know who that seed was. But now we're narrowing the family tree down to one line so that we can see how God intends to save the world through Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. So Genesis chapter 12 opens up with the introduction of uh, the Lord telling Abram to go from your country and your kindred to your father's house and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so uh, Genesis 12, one through three is uh, really the the call and promise is what we find here. This promise that he, he God will provide two things. Uh, he will provide uh, offspring and he will provide land to Abraham. And uh, in response, he is looking for Abraham to act in obedient faith. Uh, Genesis 12, one through three is not the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant comes in Genesis chapter 15. The Abrahamic covenant is what we would call an unconditional covenant, meaning God is promising these things regardless of any conditions that have been set out as stipulations for mankind or for Abraham in this instance. The opening of Genesis chapter 12, this is a conditional agreement with Abraham. Go, and these are the things that will happen if you go. And the two things that are in view here specifically are the blessings of land and uh, and offspring. And that, that word bless and blessing uh, occurs multiple times in these opening verses. In fact, five times there. And it's it's a callback because in the opening of the, the Bible, God was blessing creation and, and culminated with the blessing of mankind. And now he's continuing to bless creation through Abraham now instead of, uh, of anyone else on the face of the planet. So this is a narrowing down of the focus. And that's kind of what we get here. Like Pastor Rod said, we're focusing now on one particular family line as Genesis will continue to unfold from this point. In the first three verses, though, there's seven components to pay attention to. Verse two, I will make you a great nation. Verse two, I will bless you. Uh, Verse two, I will make your name great. Verse two, I will make you a blessing to other people. Uh, Verse three, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Uh, Verse three, him who dishonors you or doesn't bless you, I'm going to curse him. Uh, And then verse three, finally, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So there's seven components there in verse three that God promises for Abraham uh, as he's calling Abraham to leave his family and go uh, as the contingent element of this. How important is this covenant in comparison to the others that God makes? So you have the Noahic covenant that we just saw. We have the covenant of works, I guess we would call that with uh, God's covenant with Adam. Um, In terms of its importance, should we 
remember that Genesis 12 is the Abrahamic covenant? Does it really matter that much? Uh, absolutely. And, and and the reason being is what the New Testament tells us about this covenant. In fact, in Genesis or Genesis, in Galatians 3:8, Paul says God preached the gospel beforehand in Genesis 12:3. Mm. And he says just that. He preached the gospel beforehand when he said in you will all the families of the earth be blessed because one of Abraham's offspring would be Jesus. And through Jesus, this idea of of faith being righteousness that we read about later on in Genesis 15, 6 is extended to all the families of the earth. So we are in Christ because of God's fulfillment of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. So this is is one of the most, if not the most significant covenant that we find uh, of all of them that are given in the Old Testament. Yeah, this is worth remembering and just keeping in your mind. Genesis 12 and 15, really, both of those together, because this is the an introduction to it. God more explicitly details it in chapter 15 and makes it a clear and firm, formal covenant. He does that when he does the, the fire and the torch through the split animals. But Genesis 12 and 15, you'll want to remember this. It's yep. that important to the rest of the storyline of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and and for the Jewish people, it's it's not only the offspring, but also the land. And so there's an element of the Abrahamic covenant that is, is yet to be ultimately fully realized in the uh, the new uh, Jerusalem, but, but even prior to that in the millennial kingdom. But, According to our understanding, that is God's promise that is still yet to right. be fulfilled. Right. Yep. Yep. The offspring has come, but yes. the land is the still The land has waiting. not been fulfilled. Yeah. Even though Israel is in the land right now. Uh, there will be a permanent dwelling in the land where all the the other the peoples will be dri- driven out and there will be no more hostility or opposition. And to that point, that's an expanded, they're not in the full territory that God promised to them. Correct. They never had that. Right, right. Yeah. So then moving on through Genesis chapter 12, we come to a, a point of wavering faith from Abraham right here in verses 10 through 20, where Abraham leaves and goes down to Egypt uh, during a famine. Notice God does not tell him to do this. Abraham decides to do this. Egypt would be a thorn in the side of the people of God for almost their entire history. We just finished talking about that at the end of last year's DBR podcast, how much Egypt played a a factor in being a temptation for Israel to trust in Egypt rather than trusting in God. And here we see the, that in its infancy as Abraham goes down to Egypt because Egypt had the Nile and had food supplies and everything else. So he goes down there and he puts his wife in danger because she's an attractive lady apparently. And he's worried, man, they're going to kill me to take you. So he tells her to lie and then Pharaoh takes her into his into his his palace. I mean, this is not husbandry 101, guys. This is this is bad what Abraham's doing here. He's not leading and taking care of his family. He puts Sarai in danger and yet God's mercy allows for uh, all of this to get undone. When Pharaoh is afflicted by God and uh, it's revealed what happens and and Abraham is sent out from Egypt but even sent out from Egypt with all of these uh, these these blessings and all of this wealth and property foreshadowing what God would do with the people of Israel during the Exodus in the future as well. I want to ask you a question about this text that I think is is somewhat ambiguous and perhaps it's on purpose. So I don't want to make the text say what it's not saying. But in a similar account, so this is the first time Abraham does this with Sarai. He's going to do it again in a couple of chapters. Surprise, surprise. Genesis 20, he's going to do it with Abimelech and Gerar. Right. In chapter 20 of Exodus, or Genesis, it says here that um, it's pretty explicit that he did not lay with Sarai. Right. He didn't lay with her because whatever reason, God prevented that. And God said, I'm the one who kept you from violating her. Yep. Should we then see in chapter 12 that that's exactly what took place in when Pharaoh took her to be his wife, that there was a violation there? It, 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 it's, it's hinted at, it seems. It seems like it's hinted at, although at the same time, the question is in verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house. Okay, how quickly did that take place? Right? When did that take place? Was that immediately? Was that 
you know, did he say, Hey, why don't you go get yourself ready in the harem? And then here came the plagues. And then it was revealed before he ever did anything. Hey God. So could God argument from silence, right? It's an argument from silence. I think, I, I, I think either way, it's an argument from silence. At least, at least maybe one is, is more implicit than the other, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, and I, I guess it, we don't want to go anywhere that the Bible doesn't want us to go, but I just, because I read chapter 20, I'm like, wow, it goes out of its way. The right. text goes out of its way to say she was preserved and protected. Here, you don't have that. So I was thinking, okay, is the implication then that there's something more going on there? Right. Nevertheless, regardless of what that is, Abraham failed. Abram at this point, yep. dude, big L. Yep. What a major L. Awful. Half truth. Yep. Whole lie. Yep. Yep. hundred uh, percent. And and yeah, look at the, notice the parallels here. And this is happening even real time for me of this in the Exodus. He goes to Egypt seeking resources, right? And that's one of the things that brought Joseph's family to Egypt in the, the time of famine. They mm-hmm. came down to Egypt seeking resources. Yeah. And it's a, a, a time of, of darkness for Israel as will even show up in Genesis chapter 15 in the Abrahamic covenant. And yet, how does God deliver his people out of Egypt? Through plagues. What does God do here to Pharaoh with when Sarai is taken into his home? He sends plagues. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? They leave Egypt. And as they leave Egypt, they, uh, they, they send them away with, with multiple possessions. Wow. It's a story that's been happening more than once. Yeah. Yeah. Some interesting foreshadowing, if, if nothing else. Uh, all right, chapter 13, we learn about uh, Abraham's nephew, who we've already heard about before, but he's traveling with Abram, and it's it's this guy named Lot. And uh, and Lot is there, and Lot and Abraham come to this place, and they come to the, the, the land of uh, of uh, the, this altar that, that he had set up between uh, Bethel and Ai, um, or not the altar, but they, they come back to this place there. And if you have a, well, no, to the place he had made the altar. If you have an, an atlas, if you have Lagos, I was even thinking maybe there's a way for us to jump on our show notes. I don't know if we can upload files to that or not. Um, I think we can do links for sure. Yeah. So if we want to link to our Dropbox or something like that, we can do that. Yeah. And, and maybe we'll, we'll figure out a way to do that. So you can see in an atlas, but you can look this up as well um, and see where this is all taking place. Because it's helpful to get visuals with all these names taking place in uh, in this section. But Abraham and Lot get there. Or Abram, it's that, we keep making that mistake. His name is Abram at this point. His name will become Abraham later. But at this point, it's it's Abram still. Um, and they, they come here and uh, and they, they realize there's, too many oxen, too many sheep between them, not because they're the only two people there, but the, the, the rest of the inhabitants of Canaan are still there. And so they're having to share the land with everybody. And so Abram looks at Lot and says, why don't you decide first? And so there, there's some generosity from Abram, some humility there, even from Abram. Lot says, well, I want this part over here. And he goes off to, to the, the region of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, and Abraham instead, or Abram instead chooses to, uh, to go to the, the rest of the, the area there. And, uh, and so they split. And that's going to factor into what happens in chapter 14 uh, with what befalls Lot. I think it was a good decision for Lot to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go over there. Or should he been, have been more like Ruth and say, hey, where you go, I go. Let's figure this out. Because I wonder, you know, he, he goes to, towards Sodom and Gomorrah and then ends up being a terrible decision. Ad, uh, a- Abram is the man of promise. Yeah. He's the line that God's going to bless. So would it have been a better, obviously it would have been a better decision. Was it wrong for him? lot that is to say i'll take this direction well it's interesting because the land of sodom and gomorrah is transjordan right it, mm-hmm. it, it's across the jordan so mm-hmm. it's it's outside the promised land even All and right. so in that sense I, I think even just from that we can say that's not, not bad decision yeah that's a bad decision um you know i 
I think Lot is making it, it, it. It's interesting. Lot is looking at the land and seeing how appealing it is. It, it's almost, you know, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boast, boastful pride of life. He's seeing it going, man, this is really good territory. I want to go over there and right. making that decision based on that rather than thinking about God's promises and God's plan in that situation. Well, if it weren't for Hebrews 11, I would think a far, a far less of Lot. Hebrews 11 says that he was a, man, a righteous man. He right. was groaning because of the evil that was happening there. But nevertheless, yeah. helpful. Yep. Yeah, so chapter 14 then, you've got all these kings that show up. And this is just a reminder, again, there's there's more people than just what's going on with Abram. Sometimes we, we zoom in so much, we forget that there's more than just going on here. So there's kings that have developed, there's territories, there's these kings of the east, there's four of them as the, the chapter opens in chapter 14. They come and wage war. This is the first mention of war that we find in the Bible. Uh, and they're waging war against some of the kings in this region of Canaan, including the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah in the region that Lot had chosen to settle. And so Lot is taken captive as these kings have their way and 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 defeat the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, and Abram is called into action. Verse fourteen: When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house. These are slaves. These are, are probably the best of the best of his servants, and they're trained. It's a, a, an interesting interesting word in the Hebrew. I don't think Abram's doing like kung fu fighting training Everybody was in his backyard but uh but there's 318 it's just a reminder of his wealth i mean god's blessings genesis 12 god is blessing abraham he's providing these servants and sure. uh, and so he takes them with him and he wins <laughs> he wins i mean like this is again god's hand on the situation and one commentator said no amount of armies or forces are going to be able to stand up against god when god's fighting for somebody and, and that's mm. that's true and i think that's really the point there uh, that that we can take away. But then he meets this guy, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, right. who's the king of Salem, who's also a priest. Mm. So you've got the king of righteousness, this is unusual. the king of the city of Salem, which means peace, and he's a priest king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. Yeah. Priest king. Yeah. And he blesses Abram. And uh, Hebrews 7, 7 will make the point that the greater is the one that blesses the, the inferior. So here we have something that, that signifies that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham was. Um, and then Abraham pays him tithes. Again, something that the writer of Hebrews says is something that the lesser does to the greater. Uh, and even that makes the implication that, that demonstrating that the priesthood that Melchizedek holds is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Because it precedes it. Because it precedes it. And because the Levitical priesthood, as the writer of Hebrews says, was present in Abram's loins. Mm-hmm. In other words, they would descend from Abram. So right. in that sense, they were paying tithes to Melchizedek as well right. as Abram paid tithes as their representative. Right. Melchizedek's such an interesting, unique character, but he's a, uh, he, he is not the pre-incarnate Christ. He is not that. And I think we can we can be clear on that. We talked about that in last year's DBR podcast when we dealt with Hebrews, and we'll talk about that again when we get back to Hebrews. But he is a, a type, perhaps, of Christ, and he certainly is the one that Christ uh, Christ's priesthood is patterned after the priesthood of Melchizedek. But uh, this is a, a historical character, a historical figure. When it says in, in uh, Hebrews that he had no father or mother, that doesn't mean that he's eternal. Right. Um, it just means that they didn't have record there's no genealogy for this guy right so uh there's some mystery there but melchizedek shows up abraham ties to melchizedek there would, would you say because uh, the way that you mentioned this um, i'm curious now jesus has his priesthood after the order of melchizedek right so we're not saying that it's right. just a pattern but that jesus priesthood issues from melchizedek's right. priesthood yeah. yep so it transcends the levitical priesthood which is why jesus can be prophet priest and king because he is king by right of his lineage from the tribe of Judah. He's priest by right of his lineage from the 
priestly line of Melchizedek. Right. So this is a really significant point in the in the scriptures. Yep. We, we're going to come back to this later on in Hebrews, but really important character, despite how little we have about him. Yeah. Frustratingly so. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. When we get to heaven, we'll be like, where's the Melchizedek line? And there'll be like <laughs> 5 million people deep waiting to get to I Melchizedek. Sure hope so. That'd be great. All right, Genesis 15, then we get to the Abrahamic covenant. This is the formalized agreement between God and Abraham. Uh, just to break it down for us, here's how it works. Uh, Genesis 15, 1, you've got the promise of God, the promise uh, specifically dealing here uh, with uh, a reward. I'm going to be your shield. Verses 2 through 3, then, Abraham gently, tentatively questions God's promise, specifically about offspring. Verses 4 through 6, God reassures Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Okay, that's cycle one of the promise question uh, reassurance. Then 15.7, you get another promise that God makes here. He said, look, I'm going to bring you out of, I brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. So here's a promise about the land. 15.8, Abram questions again, questions the promise of this land. Then in the longer section, much longer section, verses 9 through 21, uh, this is where God reassures Abram and this is where the covenant actually takes place. And this is where the the legal formalized agreement of this covenant is acted out or, or worked out between God and Abram there. So promise, question, reassurance, promise, question, reassurance. That's kind of how the, the general structure of the chapter unfolds. What would be the significance of the fact that Abraham, Abram rather at this point, didn't pass through the dead animals? That gets back to that unconditional component of this, that this is not, Abram doesn't have a, he's not a, obligating himself to God in any way. God is obligating himself to Abram regardless of Abraham's role in this. Wow. So it's a unilateral covenant God makes with him. Right. There are conditions for Abram. He still has to obey. There's blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, but rather, uh, or really, God is the one who's saying, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this. Right. Which is why we would say this is so important that God will fulfill this because he's making a unilateral covenant that he intends to fulfill literally. Yeah. Although I don't think there are conditions. Because the, the blessings and cursings are part of the, the Mosaic covenant. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. I guess you're right. I so, guess in some sense, this, this is entirely outside. Well, he says go, right? Back in chapter 12, go well, and do. Well, and that's that's the question of is 12, 1 through 3, is, is that the covenant, right? Or is that the initial act of obedience that now the covenant is given in response to? Uh, interesting. Interesting. Because I think this is one of the points of dispensationalism, too, is you know one of the reasons why we so firmly believe in that future for Israel is because the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. And so the, the, the argument that, well, Israel has forfeited their claim on these things because of their disobedience to God. I don't think we see that here. I think when we see the blessings and cursings, those are given in response to the Mosaic covenant. But I think this covenant is strictly unilateral. It's God obligating himself to his people saying, I'm going to get these things done. So how would you put together the Abrahamic and, and Mosaic covenant then? If, are they are they in any way contingent upon one another? Do they complement one another? Is one subservient to the other? Um, sort out the, I mean, because the Bible is full of covenants. Right. This is where it gets a bit challenging for us. Right. How do we put them together in a way that's coherent and, and not uh, contradictory? Right. Well, the, the Abrahamic covenant is timeless. The Mosaic covenant was fulfilled. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant was given to point to Jesus. Jesus is the one that came to fulfill the law. He is he didn't he didn't abrogate it. He didn't set it aside and say it's it's null and void and it's right. destroyed. Right, right. But it was there to point to Christ. Christ came and it was completely fulfilled. In other words, its purpose is done. 
um, the purpose of the, the Abrahamic covenant is not going to be done until the end of all creation, until God fulfills the ultimate promise of the land that he's going to give to Israel. And that's going to take place in the millennial kingdom. So between now and then the Abrahamic covenant is still in operation. The Mosaic covenant is today no longer in operation in the same sense of being binding on us. Why? Because what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, when he says that God did what the law could not do by sending Christ, Mm -hmm. the law couldn't justify us. Christ fulfilled the law and in fulfilling the law, he's, fulfilled all of his demands on us uh, so that we can now be forgiven so that we're no, no longer obligated by the conditional demands because the Mosaic covenant is conditional. We're no longer obligated by the, the, the conditional commands of the Mosaic covenant because Christ fulfilled those on our behalf. Are Christians in any way benefactors of the Abrahamic covenant? Yes. In what it, ways? It, the, the, that's Paul's argument in Genesis or in Galatians uh, 3, 8, that, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The fact that in Genesis uh, 12, 3, when he says, and you will all the families of the earth be blessed. And later on, he repeats it and says, well, all the nations of the earth be blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, that opens the door for the gospel to be applied to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. uh, to, to mm-hmm. us. Um, and I, I preached on this not long ago that even that concept of Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I think that's connected to that blessing all the families of the earth, that that, that now is open to all of us, that, that we can exercise that trust in God, that God will deliver us from our sins. And we can, in exchange, receive the righteousness of God as well. So are we benefiting from that covenant right now, or is that something that's yet to be fulfilled? Or in other words, is the Abrahamic covenant in suspension until God fulfills the land uh, blessing, or is that something that we're enjoying right now? I know our covenant brothers would say that the Abrahamic covenant has has been realized in the church age, all of it. Right. Uh, How do do we differ from them? I was going to give my yes answer before you, you categorize. <laughs> yeah, it, we would say it's it's already not yet, and so it's it's still in operation. It it is we are enjoying the benefits of it right now because we have received the blessings through faith in Christ. Right, and so we have received that portion of it. But there's a not yet component that has not yet been fulfilled mm-hmm. that will be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, when the when covenant theology argues, well, the the land promises are not going to be fulfilled; those are to be spiritualized or or whatever. We don't believe that that to be true. We believe that that those are literal promises that are still in operation and will be fulfilled by God in that final day. Man, this is such exciting stuff to talk about. Um, Is there a resource? Because this is a fun topic. Is there a resource that you could think of, uh, a book that you've read about the subject, or even in seminary that you would say, "Oh, when it comes to covenants," because this is the this is where the rubber meets the road. We we disagree with our reformed brothers and sisters who are covenantalists, and the difference between them and us is we're dispensational, which is a, a framework of looking at the Bible that's not polar opposite, but very different than our brothers and sisters who we could go to church with, but we disagree with in terms of the covenants. Yeah. Let me, let me give you uh, th- three books um, off the top of my head. One is called progressive dispensationalism. Um, is that block that? No, that one is uh block. Oh, close enough. <laughs> yeah, that was close. Uh, block and, uh, and uh, blazing um, wrote progressive dispensationalism. I believe that is, is our camp uh, pretty much. Um, there's a spectrum that uh, on all of these issues, progressive dispensationalism really kind of communicates very, pretty well where we would fall as far as our view on all of these matters. And it's only $35 paperback, $31 hardcover, and only $22.99 on Kindle. So you got to really be interested in that. Uh, <laughs> the other book I would suggest, pages. this is Vlock, and that is Has the Church Replaced Israel? That's a, a helpful treatment of this, this subject as well. Um, with the only caveat on that one. Uh, our covenant brothers would push back and say, we are not replacement theologians. We don't believe the church has been replaced 
or that the church has replaced Israel, but the church is the fruition of Israel is the language that they would use. Mm. But Vlach gives a good treatment of the dispensational approach to these issues. This third book I'm going to recommend to you, I'm going to do so carefully uh, because it's going to present the options to you really without commending one over the other, but I do think it gives a fair and balanced treatment of them all. And that is the book uh, Continuity and Discontinuity, or sorry, Discontinuity to Continuity. Discontinuity to continuity. To okay, continuity. I, I see it here. Yep. Benjamin Merkel is Benjamin, the author. Benjamin Merkel. Yeah. Dis- even-handed layout of all the options. Yeah. I think he does give an even, even-handed layout of all the options. And you might say, well, Pastor PJ, why would you do that why if, would you, if you do guys that? hold a certain position? Why? And the answer is because this Ugh. is this is not a tier one issue. Um, I'm not going to g- recommend a book to you that's going to go out there and, and tell you there's a bunch of models of atonement and pick whichever one you want. Because uh, that matters. That's that's a tier one issue that is whether or not you're saved is our understanding of atonement being substitutionary atonement. That is that Christ took our place on the cross and satisfied God's wrath. Mm-hmm. These are things that we as brothers and sisters in Christ can agree to disagree on um, because we, we hold them loosely. We have to hold them, but we hold them loosely. So this book, continuity or discontinuity to continuity, uh, does give an even-handed treatment across the board and will help you see, yeah, there, there are differing views uh, on, on this. But we would fall progressive dispensational by and large as the church. There is a future for Israel, and we have strong convictions about that. So it's not that we're saying, hey, we want you to go and become a non-millennialist. Or that they're all equally valid. Or that they're all equally valid. They're not. Uh, but we do acknowledge that there are, are, are godly brothers and sisters in Christ that hold different views than we do, and we will be in eternity with them. Right. We'll sing songs together. Yeah. And we'll, when, we're, when we're shown right, we're not going to flaunt it or hold right. it over their head. We're right. just going to keep singing with Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I'm always reminded of the close and deep, deep friendship between John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. Yeah. Um, that was sweet. Because they held opposite views on this, and yet they were brothers in arms. So That's right. So there you go. There's some reading list for you. That's a long podcast. We're so sorry. We hope this is helpful, though. It was a big section. So yeah, we are. We hope uh, you benefited from it. And uh, keep reading your Bibles and tune in tomorrow as we keep going in Genesis. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.